Um, secondly, James tells us to resist the devil and he will flee from you. Right? That's all you have to do is resist. And he's going to flee. Well, Jeff, you might be saying that all sounds good in theory, but how do I put that into practice? What do I actually have to do to resist the enemy? Well, if you happen to notice the title of the message today, that is where putting on your big boy pants comes in. Now, the Urban Dictionary says that the term big boy pants is a metaphor, right? It's a metaphor for taking responsibility for mature adult affairs, such as finances and occupational obligations and everything else. There are some churches now, so I have heard, that have classes in adulting, right? You, are, you take a class in adulting to what? Learn how to be an adult, okay? You could put that another way. It could be called putting on your big boy pants, all right? Now, the key word in that whole definition is mature, and here's why. Pursuing a kingdom vision requires kingdom maturity. Pursuing a kingdom vision requires kingdom maturity. You see, probably the easiest area for the enemy to attack us is to compromise our unity. If he can get us irritated at each other, well, then his work is basically done because then our work just comes to a screeching halt. Because all we're doing is arguing with each other and pointing fingers and calling one another names. You see, one of the things that I like about this metaphor of putting on your big boy pants is that it actually implies personal responsibility. You are the ones that have to put the pants on. We have to take responsibility for controlling our actions much the same as a toddler no longer wearing a diaper has got to take responsibility for his or her own bodily functions. Have you ever received an unexpected surprise when changing a little boy's diaper? You know what I'm talking about. Don't sit there and act like, what's he saying? I have. I had a little boy. My son was notorious for this. You had to have a spare diaper in hand so that as soon as you took the dirty one off, you had to slap the other one down there. Otherwise, you were going to clean up something more than likely yourself. You see, that's how things go when we act immaturely. We, we have no control over ourselves. We say things without thinking. We post passive-aggressive comments on social media. We pout if we don't get our own way. And generally, we just do or say whatever it is that, that kind of makes us feel better. And we have little to no consideration for anybody else. Maturity is about control. Control of our tongues, control of our keyboards, control of our actions, control of our responses. And as you might expect, the Bible gives us some quite excellent advice on how to do that. And while I'm sure that the Apostle Paul had absolutely no idea what big boy pants meant, it's interesting that in this passage he uses the language 
of getting dressed. So we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Starting in verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. And be thankful. This is what maturity looks like, according to Paul. It's found right here in these verses. And I, honestly, I think that while you know, he's addressing the church at Colossae, and he's talking specifically about church unity, these principles apply to our lives, really, in whatever setting we're in. Right? If you're trying to use your own self as an example, as, as sort of a quiet evangelism tool, so where people will look at you and go, you know, that individual's different. There's something different about them, and I'm attracted to it, and I want to know what it is. This is part of the key to that. It's behaving this way. So we're going to look at each one of these individually here. So the first one is compassion. Compassion really refers to heartfelt sympathy for those that are suffering or in need in some way. It's an attribute of God. God is described as compassionate in one who acts so on our behalf. And so compassion comes into play when one of us in our church family is dealing with a difficult situation. Right? We, we want to have compassion on them. And then sort of a, uh, a connected attribute is this next one, which is kindness. Kindness is kind of that friendly and helpful spirit which meets needs through good deeds. It's the concrete action part of compassion. So if compassion is that feeling that we have that we want to help someone, it's kindness that spurs us to action, to actually do something about it. Um, it's a continual theme in the Psalms and in the Proverbs. Kindness is what takes the initiative in responding generously to others' needs. And it's because we as believers have received kindness that we ought to act that way uh, towards others. The thing is, it doesn't come naturally. It's a fruit of the Spirit, right? So you want to, that's how we sort of come by this thing. And so one of the things that I found out as I was looking into this was that if you kind of couple heartfelt compassion with kindness, you more or less get the Latin word caritas. Now many of you may have heard the word caritas because there is a ministry that uh, has that name that, that helps the homeless community, finds places for them to stay overnight and feeds them and, and, and gives them uh, what they need. But essentially caritas simply just means a love of humankind. Or, uh, as Lord Hailsham, who I have no idea who that is, but he said this. He paraphrased it. He said, 
It's the art of being a deer. Isn't that kind of neat? It's the art of being a deer, a deer person. Next, we have humility. Humility is a proper estimation of oneself. Humility is not some kind of a self-debasing attitude. That's false humility. True humility is an attitude that is free from pride and from self-assertion, that, hey, look at me, look what I'm doing. It's a true understanding of one's position with God. As Christ humbled himself, so we as believers ought to humble ourselves as we are in service to our Lord and Savior Jesus. And the thing is, if kindness is a Christ-like attitude toward others, then humility is actually the Christ-like attitude towards ourselves. It's supremely exemplified in Jesus' readiness to forego his own rights, which led first to his incarnation as a human being and ultimately to the cross. Then we have meekness. Meekness is sometimes translated as gentleness. It may, may say that in whatever uh, translation you're reading. Meekness or gentleness has been described by a lot of people as power under control. If you think of a picture of a horse, you know, just a huge, powerful animal being ridden by a much smaller human being, but with the help of a few pieces of leather and some metal can bring that huge, powerful animal under control. This attitude of meekness is an attitude of refusing to demand one's own rights. See, that's a huge problem, I think, we have. We always want, want our rights. I'm right, you're wrong, that's the end of the story. True meekness and gentleness is being considerate, considerate of others, but overall submissive to God and to his word. Now, meekness is not to be confused with weakness. It means a consideration for others and a willingness to give up one's rights for the sake of another, just as Jesus did. Then we have patience. Patience is the capacity to bear injustice or injury without revenge or retaliation. It can be thought of as long-suffering or putting up with people who irritate. A person might have the right to retaliate, but they choose patience instead. It's the Holy Spirit's work in us that increases our endurance and our ability to do that. Patience is the effect of humble kindness on one's reaction to other people. Next, everybody's favorite, forbearance and forgiveness. See, the idea of putting up with the abuses and offenses of others sort of continues on with this Paul's call for us to bear one another's burdens and to forgive. We're supposed to go beyond quiet resignation and just 
forgive whatever grievances you may have against someone else. Why is that? Well, have you been fully forgiven by Jesus? See, the forgiven are the ones who are obligated to become forgivers. So the standard of forgiveness is that of Jesus. And the interesting thing is it's only in the outworking of our relationships with other people that compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience can be worked out. You can't do that in a vacuum. You can't have all these characteristics if you just sit by yourself in your house all day. (laughs) You don't really need them. But if you're going to interact with other people, that's when these come into play, and that's when they start to bear fruit. See, the testing ground for all of this is when people have grievances against one another. Paul called the believers to bear with and forgive one another. To bear with means putting up with the EGRs. Do you remember we talked about this a few weeks? Do you remember what EGRs are? Extra grace required, right? We all have those kinds of folks in our lives. I'm not going to name anybody. (laughs) You're not going to name anybody either, because I might be one of them. But the point is, we all have those kinds of folks, right? For whatever reason, maybe they just don't even know that they're doing it, but they somehow manage to stomp on your last nerve every time they open their mouth. Okay? That's an extra grace required. And we're called to bear with that and not just accept it, but also just to forgive them for it. You can only do that if you're clothed with patience. This idea of forgiveness um, implies this sort of continual mutual forgiveness for problems, for irritations, for grievances that occur. And in this case, specifically in the body, but I mean that has, you know, that has implications even beyond a church family. Your own family, for example. Your work family, if you want to call them that. And see, in order to do one or the other of these, you have to do both. It takes forbearance to forgive, and that forgiveness means putting up with people who need forgiveness. Why do you think, you know, here in this, we're talking about the first century, Paul's writing this letter. Why do you think he called believers to do this? Well, I think, you know, part of the thought here is that the church already had enough issues dealing with things on the outside world, right? They didn't need infighting. I mean, there were, they were truly persecuted. We don't really have any clue what that's like. But they did, right? They actually had a lot of stuff that they were trying to deal with. So they didn't need to be fighting one another in addition to fighting everybody who was on the outside. And so he didn't want all this energy wasted on grievances and grudges 
that were either held over from their pre-Christian days or that arised out of being part of a church because he says there's no need for that. You can work those things out if you practice forbearance and forgiveness. And so the key to forgiving others, and Paul's idea is, well, first of all, you have to remember how much God has forgiven you. And second, to realize that you are being quite presumptuous in refusing to forgive someone that God has already chosen to forgive. Boom. There it is. <laughs> and so we've got to remember that God's infinite love and forgiveness are what can help all of us to love and forgive one another. Paul kind of saves the best for last here. See, without love, all the other virtues that we've talked about, really, um, they're nothing but mere moralism. And not much else. But when love is present, there is harmony and unity within the community. Now, you know, you could read this a bunch of different ways, and it's not really clear whether it's love that binds the virtues together, which kind of complete this lovely garment of Christ-like character that Paul's talking about, or whether love is actually what binds the members of the community together in a kind of a mature oneness. And, you know, maybe it's intentionally ambiguous, because I think they both make wonderful sense. So in this idea, love is kind of like a belt, if you want to kind of carry this idea of a garment. Um, it's the belt that sort of holds all the other articles of clothing in place. It literally means the bond of perfection. You can't really practice any of those other virtues without practicing love. Because... If you do, it's going to lead to distortion, it'll lead to fragmentation, stagnation. And so in any congregation, love has got to be used to unify and to build up. Exactly what Paul was talking about in Corinthians. When he talked about prophecy, for example. That the whole idea there was to unify, to build up, to encourage, to edify. And so those that desire to be mature in Christ have got to make love your number one priority. And that's why you see it so often show up in the writings of Paul. It was, it was certainly important to him. And then the final thing he talks about is peace. And so when we exercise the traits of compassion and kindness and humility and patience and above all love, when we do that, we are more than likely going to face conflict. Because, see, not everybody's playing by these rules. Not even all Christians are playing by these rules. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> Boom. So how do we deal with these conflicts and live as God wants us to live? Well, when we're hurt by others or we make some sort of a gracious effort and we get rebuked, we've got to have an umpire inside that says peace. Peace. 
call time out on your passions and on your reactions and think about the peace that God won for you through the death of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul doesn't teach peace at any price. That's not really what he's saying here. He's encouraging believers to embrace God's peace and to be under his control as you make the decisions uh, for truth and for what is right. So, to close all of this, there's a great scene from the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Anybody, anybody seen that? Okay. So, um, the bride's father in the movie is named Gus. And uh, Gus makes this speech at the wedding reception. But the reason he makes this speech is that up to this point, uh, Gus has been very, very opposed to his daughter marrying this non-Greek man. Right? Gus is a rabid nationalist <laughs> for the nation of Greece. Right? And he goes to great lengths to start to explain how any and every English word somehow or another wanders back to some Greek root, which in a lot of cases is true, but not in every case. Okay? And so Gus is very, very, almost rabidly unhappy that his daughter is marrying someone who is not of her heritage. Because while she wants to go to college and make something of herself, all he wants her to do is marry a nice Greek boy and give him more Greek grandchildren. That's pretty much what his goal is for her. She has ambitions that go beyond that. So throughout the movie, you sort of get a sense of the angst that he has, that he's you know, just really fighting the fact that this guy is not going to fit into the family um, and so forth. But then finally, the light goes off. And I think he comes to understand just how much his daughter loves this man. And so he makes the following speech at the wedding as an attempt to try and smooth things over. He says, welcome to the Portocolis family and welcome to the Milar family. I was thinking last night, the night before my daughter is going to marry Ian Miller, that you know... The root of the word milar is a Greek word. <laughs> milar comes from the Greek word milo, which means apple. So there you go. Now, as many of as you know, our name, portokalis, comes from the Greek word portokali, which means orange. So here tonight we have apples and we have oranges. <laughs> we are all different, but in the end, we are all fruit. You see, if we're going to make a difference for Christ in our world, then this is the attitude that we've got to have. Putting on our big boy pants enables us to understand and to realize that we're all the same. But that we're also all different. And so what putting on these characteristics or these, these attitudes of maturity are what's necessary to allow us to act in such a way that we can accept the fact that even though we're different, we're all fruit. Amen?
my fruity companion. Which are you, orange or apple? Oh, I'm, uh, what's the tallest fruit there is? Oh, you know what? I even had a picture. There's Gus. He would, he's probably cringing over my poor Greek accent. <laughs> All right. Let's just be quiet for a moment. This morning, Chip prayed as we were sort of standing in a circle for me to have boldness, and I guess I now know why. So what I really sense the Lord saying is this, is if there is anybody sitting here now that has any sort of a, an issue with somebody else who is sitting here now, what I hear the Lord saying is it's time to deal with that. It's time to have forbearance and to offer forgiveness. And so as we go into this next you know, phase of sort of inviting the Holy Spirit's presence, I just want to encourage you. Don't let this opportunity bypass you that if there is some sort of a conflict or some sort of an issue. And I, I will stress, even if you think it's not really an issue, then be bold and pretend that it is. And go and, and seek forgiveness or offer forgiveness or whatever it is that you think you need to do, whatever you sense God telling you to do. need prayer for anything John and Chipper are at the back would be willing to pray for you I would be willing to pray for you 
you're free to just sit here and worship, to just bask in God's presence. But we're embarking on a journey. We started the first of this year to, to push forward, to press in, to make a difference. As I've just outlined, it's going to be difficult to do that if we're fighting with one another. And I don't know that there's even any kind of big thing going on here. I'm not implying that at all. I'm just telling you what I sense God telling me. And that's that if there is anything like that, he would like us to get rid of it now so that it doesn't impede our progress later on. So Father, I just give you thanks for this this word and Father I pray that these people here would have boldness as well to seek out someone to say something that might be uncomfortable in the moment but that will ultimately result in great healing Father we want to be united as we move forward be a place that makes a difference that has an impact and so Father just speak now to your people guide them to know if this is something that you're asking them to do and if so who they need to, uh, to go to Lord I just pray your blessing upon all of these your people that you would touch them mighty and a powerful way not just today but in the week that is to come give you thanks for each and every one of them I know how pleased and proud you must be with the way that they are responding to wanting to be a church that has an impact you to come and, and talk to us and let us have the opportunity to seek your forgiveness if that's the case and then there's one other application that could be there as well and that is if there's somebody that you have this issue with but they're not here today 
and this is something that is just weighing heavily on you because it's, um, it's impacting your spiritual growth and your ability to move forward. And so if you just want to really get this taken care of today and that's the case, then you can come and talk to us as well. I would still encourage you to talk to them when, you're, when you see them, but this may be an opportunity for you to, uh, to deal with something before it becomes an even bigger issue. So let me just bless everyone and sort of do our dismissal, and then you can uh, act as the Lord leads. So Father God, I just bless all these people now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Bless them as they go from this place. Bless them as they go into the workplace tomorrow. Bless them in all they put their hand to. And Father, let all of us continue to grow in the maturity that you have for us. To take these words to heart. And to remember to act with compassion and kindness. With humility and gentleness. And patience and love. And knowing that in doing so, we will have peace. So I ask all this now in Jesus' name.